Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode of an incredible show because I'm well, I'm going around the oceans and right into the Middle East. I'm now talking to our next speaker, our next conversationalist over in Dubai. Now, I don't want to talk about the weather there because I'm probably going to get jealous if he tells me too much. But there's an incredible individual and we've been trying so hard to get onto this podcast, this conversation. We've had to postpone it once already but we are finally there. So I want to introduce you to Sami Al-Atrafi. I hope I've pronounced that right, Sami. I do apologize if I haven't. Uh, Sami's an incredible guy. I love his vibrancy, his personality and some of his views. But let me just tell you who he is. So Sami is the founder and CEO of Marmalade Fish. Marmalade Fish is a, a global company, a team of facilitators and coaches bringing humanity to business. I love that. So uh, Sammy often talks about time for humanity. We're going to explore that uh, phrase in a lot more uh, depth. Uh, He's been the regional head of learning at HSBC in Dubai, uh, learning and development manager at uh, Mubadala Development Company over in Dubai and Emirates Airlines. So now there's a clue in all of this. If you look behind Sammy's head, he's actually got... I don't know where he's got this from, but he's actually got a window from a Boeing 747. And he tells me it's a first class window. Sammy, what's the story there? Yeah, it's the pointy end of the plane. I am (laughs) an aviation geek, self-professed. And what you can't see is I also have an aircraft bar and a crew jump seat as well. How cool is that? I have on my bio that I hold the intention to have a 747 when I retire. So I thought, cool, let's start small. And whilst aircrafts were being scrapped... I managed to grab, as you say, a first-class window. So there it is. That's brilliant. And at night time, it lights up as well. So do you know how many windows there are to a Boeing 747? When I used to fly many, many years ago, that was a trick question that was asked on your first flight because it would stomach. Oh, really? Yeah. And when nobody was able to reply, they're like, gotcha. So it was part of the tricks. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was only asking because I don't know the answer. I'm simply asking. I'm just wondering how many more windows you've got to get before you stop buying other parts of the aircraft. Yeah, I realized something was going wrong when they asked me to start cleaning the windows from the front. (laughs) So, Sammy, listen, welcome to the show. I really genuinely have been looking forward to this. Sammy, you've done so much in your life, and I know that you... You espouse leadership wherever you go. And for you, this is all about connection. Leadership is about empathy. It's about seeing the world from a slightly different perspective. And and I believe there is no other time in our recent history than right now where leaders need to start thinking differently. What's your views on that? 
I think that leadership has perhaps been overstated when we say that it's service to others. It is about service to others. But the piece that potentially has been missing is, to use your word, connection. It's about a connection to self. And then from that space, once you've done your inner work, you've been on your inner journey, you will be able to step into leadership as a verb. So I believe that we're all leaders. I love that. It could be a 12-year-old at school, or it could be a 100-year-old who's walking around his garden in order to raise funds for the NHS. Oh my God, Sam, you've just blown my head straight away with that first thing, because one of the things I very often talk about is, you know, if you Google the word leadership, you'll come across, I mean, last time I did it, I got something like 1.67 billion responses back in less than a second. But then if you Google the phrase, what is leadership, you get the same definition. And the definition tends to be the act of leading a group of people or an organization. Now, I think that's a pretty poor definition of what leadership is. And leadership for me, being a nonconformist, I create my own definition. Whenever you're influencing people or influencing circumstances, you are leading. So it feeds into exactly what you're saying. You could be a four-year-old child, uh, you know, guiding a younger sibling or a hundred-year-old expert or full of wisdom guiding a whole group of people. That's leadership. And when we have the awareness that we are all leaders, but it's an opportunity for us to step into it, we then raise awareness. And another word for awareness is consciousness. And so when I talk about this form of conscious leadership, whatever you want to call it, but conscious leadership for me is this heightened awareness, as you say, given the times that we're living through, of how can I as an individual start to create a better environment for myself and therefore my home and therefore my street? community, organization, but it starts in my home. It's creating this ripple effect almost. I mean, I'm envisaging this ripple effect that starts with you and then it extends outwardly slowly. Is, is that what you're, what you're trying to describe here? Yeah, and it can be really small actions. Mm. So I've just had a phone conversation with somebody and I believe that they were in a triggered state. So I suggested, well, why don't we have this call in five minutes? Yeah. Let's do some mindful breathing. And she's like, yeah, let's do that. And so we hung up the phone and five minutes later, we had this beautifully productive, co-creative conversation. And that's, leadership can be that small, but it's just the awareness, the consciousness that you bring to your everyday activities. And then, of course, how you influence and inspire, lead others, as you yeah. said. I mean, You've beautifully encapsulated uh, in, in very simple language, I think, the four elements, the key elements of emotional intelligence, which is really what this, this, this podcast is all about, you know. Uh, and the first element, of course, the first quadrant is self-awareness. Uh, and, and you're a big proponent of self-awareness and really knowing yourself, really understanding how the emotions that we have translate into the behaviours that we exhibit so let's talk about self-awareness. I mean, what do you think are the first steps to becoming really, really self-aware as a leader? I like the way that you talk about behaviors. So if we start with what's visible, if you like above the waterline, then you're able to go underneath the water to see what are the experiences and beliefs that are informing how I show up. I think often as individuals and in organizations, we focus on changing the behavior or we try to influence different actions. The opportunity, step one, is to have the awareness that we're not aware. Yeah. <laughs> step two is to think, 
What's driving this behavior? What sits metaphorically underneath the water that is informing how I show up with this person in this meeting with my boss, you know, whatever the end of that sentence is. And then from there, that's where the real system work can happen. So I think the opportunity for us with self-awareness is recognize that we have blind spots. Importantly, try to find ways to press pause in this busy, hyper-connected world that we live in. And in doing so, you can start to examine some of those blind spots and go a bit deeper. What's producing this behavior, which is giving me certain results? And if I want to get different results, don't focus on the behavior. Focus on the belief that's driving it. For me, it's almost like three tiers. So there's the behaviors that the rest of the world can see. Behind the behaviors are the emotions but the emotions are the result of these past experiences, these these belief systems that we might hold. And they might actually be distorting our values. The values are, if you like, for me, are, are the central core magnet that really drives our decision-making process, the way that we see the world, and how we translate and interpret uh, what's going on around us in the world. So I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I see, I th- I think, you know, when it, when it comes to the issue of diversity, now this is something that we, we see a lot of people who say, you know, we are um, experts in diversity and inclusion and a lot of organisations will have statements around diversity. But then if you look at their actions, many of their actions within their policies are geared towards behaviour. We shan't do this and we shall do this. And I get really frustrated at that. And, uh, you know, my history in over three decades was in the police service. And I've always tried to drive this issue, this conversation around diversity. And I'm still frustrated that we seem to be doing the same thing now that we were doing 30 years ago. And that is controlling behavior. But you cannot control behavior. And this is what you're saying without getting down to the attitudes. And the attitudes are driven by past experiences, perspectives, values, um, and, and emotions as a result of all of that. So how do we get down that step deeper? We just need to go a step deeper from behaviours through to the driving attitude. There's so much of what you say that resonates. So Time for Humanity, the first chapter is called The Value of Values. I start there because conscious leaders have an awareness of their core values, and then they have a tolerance that other people have different values. When you're not living in accordance with your values, then your negative self-talk can create a trigger state. Exactly. And then you don't show up. So there's something there around the resourcefulness. But you know, Cole, my first name is Ahmed. So I know I don't look or perhaps sound like an Ahmed Sami al-Ashrafi, but my father's Syrian. My mum's English. I was born and raised in Abu Dhabi. And a child of the 80s, in those days, there were never any boxes that were relevant for me to tick. So I grew up ticking other or not applicable And I think that's a blessing for me because as I've evolved on my journey, I've realized that though well-intentioned, definitions always leave something out. And for me, it's important for us to escape our identity, our ego self. Ecosystem to ecosystem awareness means let's not create more tick boxes that separate us from our shared and common humanity. I love this. Uh, And this takes us into a whole new era now, a whole new space Uh, And again, feeds into one of my other frustrations, and that is what drives diversity here in the UK, I can only talk about the United Kingdom, are these protected characteristics as they are defined as, you know, 
uh, people of color or so it's race or gender or sexual orientation or uh, age. And I get really frustrated by that in so much as uh, what we're doing essentially is creating division by creating homogeny in these groups. It's almost assuming that every single person of color thinks the same, behaves the same. And yet the rich diversity of the world means that uh, somebody who is brown can come from a whole host of countries uh, and might not be born in those countries, might actually be born outside of those countries and therefore have another con- complexity attached uh, as a layer above that. And you have described your own experience. So if there was one thing that I'd love to change, it's moving away from these labeling issues and actually create a whole leadership culture across all spectrums to say every single person is different. Every single person is individual. Every single person is driven by different experiences, different uh, perspectives. And therefore, if we truly want to be an inclusive organization, we should allow that rich diversity of thought to come through. And that's true diversity. I know. And though I have 2% Neanderthal DNA, I've done it. Who knew I also have Mongolian? <laughs> but really? Yeah, I've got all kinds of stuff. Uh, do you know what? Me and my wife keep, uh, keep saying that we need to do this. My wife is uh, of Indian origin like myself, but she's so fair. And the fact that she doesn't like spicy food, I've said to her, you are not a true Indian. <laughs> We've got to do the DNA test. When I saw my DNA results... It just blew away any conception that we are, apart from my 2% Neanderthal, we are nothing except for Homo sapiens. We are one species that descend from the same ancestors in the Rift Valley in East Africa. And we are a magnificently diverse group of beings. But we have this template of what it is to be human. And then we've tried to conform in order to show up to be successful in our understanding post-Second World War of what that looks like. But the awareness of not being aware starts with This is a relatively recent phenomenon in the history of our species. We're talking about the last 80 or 90 years. We have created a definition of success which wasn't shared before that time. And perhaps what's happening now in 2022, as we're having this conversation, is that we're redefining what success looks like for our lives in our relationships, our communities, societies. And really that's what the book and my message, Time for Humanity, and the work you do is about. Where is the opportunity for us to have a really meaningful conversation and to answer this question that we seem to be resistant for a quarter of a million years to answer? What does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to live a full and meaningful life? These are really, really simple questions, but very powerful questions. And I think, I think it's been over the last two years since the whole pandemic. I think the pandemic experience took us down to the very basic of human needs in the Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It took us right back down to, uh, you know, the survival and food and shelter and all of these kinds of, the real basic stuff. And I think that, as you say, has recalibrated for us our priorities. And that's what's led into uh, the Great Resignation, where people are leaving in droves, organisations that may pay well, but they're toxic work cultures and people don't feel valued or rewarded or appreciated or included even. And I think people are now beginning to have the confidence to vote with their feet and and leave and seek an organisation that does have the right kind of culture. So for you, uh, you know, in 2022 and beyond, 
Um, I feel a bit like Buzz Lightyear there when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what does what does a, a healthy workplace culture look like for you? What a great question. So for me personally, it's an opportunity for me to show up on a Sunday night as I reflect on Monday the next day going to work to feel light and to feel excited and not to feel dread and hope that that meeting goes well or I just survive and my head doesn't get chopped off if I raise it above the parapet. Somewhere where I feel that my expertise, as well as my unique perspective, is valued or listened to, even if it's not enacted, but I have the opportunity to weigh in before I buy in, to give ownership to driving something which, not necessarily I say in the book, not everybody's looking to work for a business that only does good, but I think people are looking now for healthy cultures where there is some consideration for people, for planet, not just for profit and this short-termism, because to say that's not how we live our lives. So I think for me, the litmus test would be the Sunday night feeling. Am I valued? Am I doing something that is greater than me? Am I working collaboratively, perhaps across borders, across generations, across nationalities, to deliver something that is meaningful. It does some good in the world. Do I feel like I'm part of the process as opposed to being told what the process is, I guess? You know, it, it, is, it is being respected and appreciated and, and having that cognitive diversity. And it's as simple as that, isn't it, really? Well, having dignity and respect is the most fundamental human need for all of us. And if we recognise this sense of belonging, and when you talk about Maslow, Belonging, if it's the most fundamental human need to be treated with dignity and respect, then surely that's the least that we can do. But I see on LinkedIn and my feed many people who press like on the company or like for their boss's post, or they message me separately and they tell me about the misery and the toxicity of their lives. And there is a disconnect of how are we colluding then in this current system, which is resisting the change. Part one of Time for Humanity is called the unconscious past. And I'm desperate for us to move to part two, which is the awakening present. And I'm noticing that there is a lot of resistance in the system for us to be able to make this shift. And I read some interesting data that suggested C-suite job applications now, job adverts, they talk a lot more about social intelligence than just financial or expertise, which perhaps we would have seen historically and I had a very interesting conversation this morning about police officers. So somebody who was involved in the recruitment of police officers and involved in the national strategy, um, he said, oh, I'm just looking through the, uh, the, 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 the typical questions that we ask of police officers here in the United Kingdom. And before he went any further, I said, well, I certainly hope that they're not technical issues. They're not technical uh, competency-based uh, questions as we normally would have. I hope they're based around humanity. I hope they're based around what are your interpersonal skills like? What are your values like? How how do you connect with other people? Because these are the fundamental skills. I think the for C-suite leaders and the, the, the most senior of leaders, if you're not able to connect with your your people, then you're not going to build a culture of transparency and trust. And that is what's going to create that belonging, isn't it? Absolutely. And we're seeing people who can feign some of these skills, but as part of this awakening present, I think more people are becoming aware 
that there is a difference between showing certain things and embodying it. Yeah. And for leaders to do their work, they're going to have to turn the periscope, the camera, which is always pointing out at other people, and though uncomfortable, turn it onto themselves. Because what I'm inviting, when we talk about human-centeredness or humanity, we are born with these skills that can be developed. I'm not suggesting that we do anything anti-human. I'm suggesting that we connect back with our innate humanity where curiosity lies in our DNA. We have an explorer mindset, which has meant that our species has survived over all of these years. We are adventurers who listen and try and experiment to innovate and the ability to nurture and show flexibility. These are equally value human skills as delivering results, as getting stuff done, driving the bottom line. And of course, we were always social creatures. So that ability to build relationships and nurture relationships has always been there within us. For many of us, we've locked it away. It's interesting what you're saying about, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of organizations, a lot of a lot of leaders have woken up to the the real need to uh, to to be much more communicative and much more uh, sort of connective uh, in their approach and their mindset. But you've also talked about those that feign this skill set, and we've both seen and experienced these kind of people who outwardly look like those, talk like a, a very you know transformational leader, or they look like one. But it's not until they're tested, you know, when they're going, when the waters get slightly rough, do they revert to type. I get this from a lot of organizations uh, where they talk about, hey, we want to change the culture in this organization. We genuinely want to change the culture. Uh, But when you start having some discussions that are slightly uncomfortable, you can see the defenses going up. Or they will say, yes, but I'm not entirely sure how that correlates directly with performance, increased performance. What would you say to organizations that very often use this argument? Well, often you see that it's a regulator that is saying that you have to change. And I would love it for more people who sit at the top of the organizations to be able to reflect on what are some of the uncomfortable truths that sit in their system? How do they and others collude and contribute? And that's hard. So I can see how a founder would be willing to do that. I can see how a board could drive somebody to do that. But when I meet senior leaders who say, I really want us to change, and you use the word they genuinely want to, then we're going to have to have some really tough conversations about how the blind spots create a vicious cycle that produces unhelpful behaviors that create your current culture. And so it's usually the top team who commissioned the work and it's usually the top team who then stop it because it becomes uncomfortable. What's your sense, Colin? How do those conversations then play out? It's a genuine request and then you say it becomes stuck. I had this experience recently, actually. I I did a cultural audit uh, of an organization and the CEO of that organization was, was genuine, was genuinely wanting to see change in the organization But when the findings of the audit came out, she was very, very uncomfortable about taking it any further forward. Uh, And and my sense of what was going on was um, she felt isolated 
from the rest of the executive team, if you like, uh, and felt that uh, she couldn't push through the necessary changes because the rest of the executive might not have been brought bought into some of the findings of the report. So consequently, it suddenly turns into this huge, uh, we very often talk about the oil tanker turning an oil tanker around. It became an oil tanker overnight when actually I felt that uh, uh, some of the recommendations just needed pushing forward and the rest of the journey would have been much easier. So I think part of it is around courage. Part of it is getting comfortable being uncomfortable because you have to go through discomfort to find a new comfort and um, and and recognizing that this process of transformation and change can in part be a very lonely journey. It has to start with somebody, right? It starts with an aircraft window if you want a full seven or so, you know, it starts somewhere. And I think that we have this obsession, this seduction with numbers. And I understand the importance of having a return on investment. But when we're putting together values and culture dashboard at Marmalade Fish for our clients to evidence how we're moving from a not at our best to an at our best or a past to a future target state culture, Mm. not everything can be measured. I'll say, for example, well, why don't we have 12 or 16 indicators? And if you want, we can track them every 12 weeks. We can put a red, amber, green status to heighten management attention. But please recognize that sitting in this culture change is the humanity piece that perhaps is intangible. And so just becoming uncomfortable with not having to have everything on an Excel or a dashboard, I think is almost like step two or three of this stuff. Not everything can be measured and that's okay. And and it's being being comfortable with that. But I think that, uh, you know, we have been stuck for so long in a style of thinking, uh, particularly if it's in like public sector, for example, that is bound by some kind of a performance measure. And it's having that courage, yet again, that courage to move away from these and trust in the process and use a different formula in terms of, I very often talk about this formula, uh, P plus Q equals P focusing on your people, focusing on the quality and the performance looks after itself. But in order for you to get there, it takes a a, a big leap of courage, doesn't it? I love that because I often say results, performance is a byproduct of leading with your humanity, of bringing conscious leadership more often. And that will get you the results in the medium to long term. And then what's required of all of us is to be more comfortable to escape this short-termism of driving results every couple of weeks or months in order to report it. And that stops us from bringing our humanity. And, you know, you talk about this short-termism. I think that's driven by this this uh, understanding that we have to be competitive. We have to exist in a, a competitive environment. And I think that's that's something that's not necessarily real. It's not honest. It's not true. But it's something that's been drilled into us from the moment we started going to school, where we had to compete with other school children. We had to compete in exams. We had to compete in, uh, you know, the higher exams and then through university and then maybe to go for a job or to get promoted. So we're now uh, believing that the only way forward is to compete. So we see businesses, very often uh, you'll see some kind of a business advisor always talking about, look at what your competition's doing. Well, I don't. I don't see anybody as competition. I'm on my own journey, doing what I want to do, doing what I believe is the right thing to do. And if more and more leaders did that, then maybe, just maybe, 
we'd see more organizations moving towards that transition towards, you know, a human-centered leadership or uh, leading with humanity and all of these kind of things. When we at Marmalade Fish went through our B Corporation certification back in 2016, I love the tagline, being the best in the world and being also the best for the world. And so if competition sits in your nature, then honor that. Make sure it doesn't become an overdone strength. Recognize the counter argument to that is, well, not everybody can be a winner. And we're creating a generation of snowflakes, they say, because we're saying nobody's a little. So you see, again, when we start to go down that line, it doesn't really take us anywhere productive. It's If you want to succeed, then, as you say, focus on the emotional intelligence piece. And I promise you, in the medium to long term, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, but you will start to see people showing up and giving their full selves. When motivation and trust is missing in a system, then something is missing then for your results. So if you look at it through the lens of performance, if you want better results, then you're going to have to allow people to show up. Absolutely. Uh, And you've got to allow cognitive diversity to shift these echo chambers that you might have in your organizations, move away from the whole group thing, doing things that you've done a thousand times over and start thinking afresh. And to do that, you have to create the environment for people to be brave enough to speak afresh. You know, you've got to create that environment and that is culture. Uh, and everything that we've talked about, you know, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I can't believe the time has flown by, literally flown by, Sammy. Uh, but before we go, I want to uh, just ask you, uh, we were talking about um, my trip to London recently. I went to London for two or three days and I go to London all the time for one meeting or another. But on this occasion, I said to my wife, I said, you know, let's just go as tourists. We're just going to think like tourists. And I was saying to you, how incredible a trip to London it was, you know, with all, all these sort of uh, touristy attraction centres and took a tour bus and went on the River Thames and we sat in a, outside a cafe on the street overlooking Trafalgar Square just watching people and your, your wisdom there was, was very, very uh, poignant and you said, when we see the world through a different perspective, a different eye, we see it in a wholly different way and it's so true. And I think there's a, a message within that for leaders and organisations. We have to learn to see things differently. I love that. So you've got to rediscover London through a different lens. And I say in the book, if you spend a moment now just being mindful of what are three things in this room that I perhaps hadn't noticed before, just by spending a moment doing that, I start to realise, oh, I'm not always conscious of my surroundings, my environment. I can have a choice to see things through a different lens. And I say, we are wonderful. We are full of wonder. But it's almost as if we've accepted that this is how life should be. This is not how life should be. And we have the opportunity, even if the CEO or founder is not going to start doing culture change tomorrow, we will impact one other person. We might have a small team who works for us. That's enough. So we can be a part of that change, even if the wider organisation isn't. You know, that's the level of responsibility we have. Uh, Sammy, I want to say thank you so much for being a part of today's programme. It's been absolutely incredible having you on here. Love your wisdom. uh, And I find, I I feel like I found a kindred soul in you, really. 
Uh, and no doubt we're going to have to now do whatever we can to meet up and uh, continue our conversation. So, Sammy, thanks very much for being on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Carl. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.